It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble and tonight it's going to be a quick kicks as we take a look back at the first half of the Canadian Football League season. Joining Heath Graham and myself, Don Charbon, is a very special guest from the Turf District, Andrew Hoskins. Andrew, welcome to the show and glad to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me guys and uh, you know it's always nice for me to get back in and, and chat some football with you guys. It's always a blast and we have a lot to talk about. It's been a really fascinating first half of the season. Uh, it has, it has and I definitely got off to a slow start and I know we, uh, I know I heard you guys talking about it. I've heard lots of uh, my CFL friends talking about how there was a time there where we were thinking, oh my goodness, like where is the excitement? These games are... Like they're just kind of ho hum, and then the last three weeks we've started to see that uh, that brand of football that we love. Well, let me rephrase: for every other team but my own, I've seen the brand of football that we love, and uh, so it's kind of it, it's it's kind of nice to get back to it, and and e- even some of the the blowout games, um, like you know the the Winnipeg BC game last week, or the or the Toronto Ottawa game that we just finished watching they're having those moments that are the wow moments. And, uh, and I think that's what we've all been kind of waiting for. And it should be an interesting second half. Yeah. The first three weeks, I think really Montreal had one offensive night that put the excitement into the league and everybody else, we were kind of sitting here wondering where the offense was going to come from and, and where it went. It was some low scoring games and it took a while for the offenses to catch up to the defense, but I think for the most part, we're there now. Oh, I agree. And uh, when Montreal put that the, the good offensive night, guess which team that was against? Uh, that was mine. And then they did it again, I guess, against Ottawa a couple weeks later. But yeah, since then, yeah, you're right. At the beginning, we were just like, wow, it's just everybody's two and out and nobody can score. And what the heck's going on? Uh, Labor Day hit and we had a couple of games there. All of a sudden, the scoring started to come. And, and since then, it's it's get, been getting more exciting for sure. Well, the Montreal-Hamilton game this past weekend, I, I called it a game for the ages because it had absolutely everything you would want in a football game and even more. Well, and the ending, it was funny because I was at a conference actually on the weekend. And so I was kind of following the game, but then I didn't turn it on until there was about eight minutes left in the game. And let me tell you, I was pretty excited that I turned it on because that was just amazing to watch that comeback. I mean, that catch by Eugene Lewis was one that like that'll hit every highlight reel for the rest of this year. And then the field goal that crosses it if, if if he was two inches back that doesn't go over just amazing finish and uh it yeah like you said had everything that you would want and i think it gets us right back into okay that the these are the kind of games that we're used to in the cfl and getting back to no lead is safe and away we go if you follow the math this would normally be about week five in a normal season because we'd have the two preseason games and this would be the fifth regular season game it seems to be about right that this is the time that teams are now really hitting their stride. They're starting to gel and, and whatever is in the playbook is being understood across the board. That's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. We're starting to get into that because usually that is what we see, right? We start to see games kind of pick up in that August range, right? They start in June and then in August, okay, we're starting to see some better games and then Labor Day hits and it's all mayhem for the end of the year, right? So uh, so we're, we're hitting the exciting part, uh, especially if you are uh, a fan of other teams. 
Turkey Day is going to be kind of what Labor Day usually is, and that is that push to the finish. That's a, yeah, that's that's fair. I hadn't I hadn't even thought of that, but I know this week when we were lining up five games, I thought, wow, we got two games on a Monday. Hmm. Yeah, and we're kind of ramping up to playoffs. Like it it does have kind of that Labor Day feel, even though it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, everybody will have played eight or nine games by the end of Thanksgiving weekend here, and so you're looking at a five game down the stretch push here now as don alluded to you usually we kind of see that at labor day i guess just moving that calendar along a few weeks because of the delay at the start of the season and it's really wide open especially the east as far as who's going to win the division and who's going to make that playoff spot and really if calgary comes out with a win and bc doesn't in their next couple of games the final playoff spot in the west is really tight here as well Oh yeah. And, and that's what we're there for, right? Is tight races. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm rather excited that Calgary's in one of those races for once and not having to just, you know, sit back by week eight and just be like, oh, we got this (laughs) now. Now they got to be in it. And, uh, that should be interesting for a bit of a, a playoff drive at the end. It's rarefied air, and I know Superfan has mentioned it in your podcast a couple times, that the Alberta teams are on the outside looking in, Mm -hmm. and not once since probably ever have the two missed the playoffs. Well, I think he said never in the golden age, I guess, of the CFL, like since 1949, that we haven't had at least one of the two teams in there. That is exactly what he said. It's amazing. Now, granted, from 49 to 53, there were only the four teams, so one of them was always going to make it. That's... <laughs> Fair. When BC enters, then you get five, so that potential comes into play. And then Winnipeg leaves for a while, so it goes away again, unless there was a crossover. I would say, truthfully, he's right on about everything. There are just some caveats that I would toss in that there were times when it was probably not possible that one of them couldn't make it. Right. But it is still still weird that there isn't at least one, right? At least at this moment. Let, let's, let, I mean, I think we can all agree that it, it is Calgary that is one of the ones that's out and, and they, they just seem to find ways and uh, they might be finding ways without Bo Levi and uh, which I know, you know, is, is hard, uh, I guess, weird to say. And yet on the other hand, uh, is it weird that they're, they found another person that they can just put in and have success with? Not really. It's interesting to me that when we look at the quarterbacking in the CFL, we've got three big names, make it four that have had arm trouble or neck trouble in Trevor Harris's case. But we've got Riley Nichols and Bo Levi Mitchell that have been sidelined or for the most part, Riley (laughs) has played, but he, (laughs) he, he, you never know game to game, right? Fair. Yep. You've got all of those people. Mitchell, I think is the most intriguing of the bunch because he's been the man in Calgary for so long. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and just to be, uh, I mean, to be clear, like Bo, Bo Levi's never been my favorite guy. And uh, obviously, uh, for <laughs> very obvious reasons, as we look around my room, you kind of wanted him to go out on his own terms. And it's kind of weird right now because he's kind of going out because he just can't do it the same way as he could before. And, and he can do parts of it, but he just can't seem to get that ball out the same way and and it's it's hard it's got to be hard for him and frustrating for him because he's all he's ever known is that he does well so it's 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 an interesting thing to to watch I would say the same thing a little bit with Matt Nichols where 
he had that success in Winnipeg and, and then that injury. And then, you know, coming back after COVID times, you're thinking, okay, he's going to get a chance to gear it back up with La Police. And then it's just the, the arm is just looking so different. And uh, it's, it's really hard to see when you have these guys granted it's it's the game of football and and we took a year off so we're gonna see some of these young who, who are the next guys that are coming up is it is it taylor cornelius is it uh evans in ottawa you're, you're starting to see some of these guys at well, one and, and mayor of course in calgary where there are guys that can play those spots and are they gonna are they gonna be the next generation of those big superstars You've also got an Evans and Hamilton that is on the shelf right now that may be the future of that franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Luckily, that's not a shoulder. <laughs> that uh, That is back from what I understand. But um, And I know all about back injuries, so I hope that uh, he can recover from that and, and get back at it. And, and he was exciting guy to watch, right? Hamilton has found other ways. And, and, and we were talking before we started recording, it doesn't always have to be on the offense. Sometimes it's the defense. And in Hamilton, that's what's, that's what's helping for them right now and continuing with quarterbacks I think we can all agree the extra year off has helped Zach Caleros get healthy he had a very limited 2019 as it was getting injured in the first game and coming back late in the season in a playoff push but then he had an entire year to rehab and get stronger and kudos to the Winnipeg offensive line for keeping him upright as well but he looks really really good and and more like we saw back in Hamilton when he was a star in the making. Oh, absolutely. And and can I say it's kind of it's nice to see a bomber fan giddy about their quarterback cuz that hasn't happened in a very long time. So, um but uh, I I saw your smirk when you were talking about him and that's <laughs> and, and that's fair. It's totally fair. And, and and he deserves it. I mean, the thing is and even at the beginning of the season he wasn't lighting the world on fire, but the last few weeks um he's really showing how he's got that same flair, like you said, especially especially in the 2015 season in Hamilton, where you know, I mean, he had the knee injury. He was on fire up to that point, and just it didn't matter where the ball was going; it was connecting. And uh, this game against BC, it very much looked like that same Zach Caleros, which is which is great to see because I remember at a point where I was saying, "God, why are you putting that guy on the field? Like one more hit." And that could be some type of devastation and, and kind of a black mark on the on the CFL quarterbacking uh, era. But behind that particular <laughs> offensive line, no, I don't want to take anything away from Zach, but I could reasonably play quarterback behind that offensive line because there's he can drop back and get out his notepad and, hey, dear mom, I'm going to throw it to Kenny Lawler and then throw it and still connect it. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, he hasn't had to really run much, but the one thing I've noticed this year as well is he is so good at taking those two or three steps away from pressure and getting the ball off as well. Not that there's been really a breakdown on the offensive line, but sometimes if guys are struggling to get open and it takes that a little bit extra time, the pressure starts to come and he just calmly steps away and and looks really comfortable. Well, and he's really good at that uh, that rollout um, when he needs to. Like, and I know a couple of times they've actually had that play. You can tell it's it's planned, where he's rolling out, especially to his right, and then uh, and he can 
he can fire it on the fly, um, which is is better than we were seeing uh, when he was back the first time before he got uh, before he got hurt again. Like it was the role was there, but it just like then the accuracy was off. And now we're seeing there's the role is there. The accuracy is there and it's paying off in, in dividends for the Bombers. Now, Saskatchewan quarterback Cody Fajardo caught some attention by getting upset over the lack of 50-50 ball competition when he's throwing passes out to his receivers, that the guys are not getting to these, and he felt that more needed to be done. It was one thing that I think I've seen in Winnipeg is that Calaris trusts that if he puts the ball close, his receiver is going to come down with it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I And, and I think that on the Rough Rider side of things, I mean, they're missing Shaq Evans, who's the guy who would go and get that 50-50 ball, right? Like they... Ken Schaefer Baker is a guy that'll go up and get that 50-50 ball. But if you're expecting Kyron Moore to go up and get it, he's not not like that's not his forte. His forte is catch it and to get all the yak, right? In in open space. I don't know much about Ricardo Lewis, but you know, he had a rough start and then he started to t- kind of turn around and start to catch the ball and things. So Cody's still a, a young guy. I think he's a, 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 you know, I think he's a good quarterback. I think that was a little bit of a frustration moment. And I, I think we all know who his offensive coordinator is and how both of them, you know, are, are wear their emotions on their sleeve. And I think that was a slip up in that particular moment. Now they bring in Duke Williams. Well, let me tell you, he'll go get those 50-50 balls. Uh, that should be rather interesting on that offense. It was also interesting this week that we saw Kahari Jones really go out of his way to show support for Vernon Adams Jr. Even though Adams Jr. was on one leg. Right. He wanted him back in the game because that's his quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kahari is one of my favorite coaches to watch. Right now, I would say I have uh, probably two coaches that I'm really enjoying watching them coach, and that's Kahari Jones and Mike O'Shea. And I just love they have fun with it, but their support for their guys is just, you know, it's it, it's never ending. They they focus on the positive. You can see when the guy come off with a, with a, an issue, whether it's, you know, Vernon Adams or whether it's the kicker in, in Winnipeg, they come off and, and they use those coaching moments and they say, okay, this, this, okay, we got this, we can do it this way. You got this. And they, and, and they show faith in those guys. Right. And, uh, I love that, that coaching. Uh, I love watching that coaching and, and those guys are really putting it together for their teams. A couple of things I've noticed from both of those coaches that you mentioned, when Mark Leggio was struggling, missing converts and that sort of thing, and, and more of the long field goals, Mike O'Shea took ownership of that after the game in an interview on CJOB. He said he's putting Mark out in situations where he's set up to fail, and I need to be better as a coach to not put him in those situations. Now, they've gone a different direction with the place-kicking duties right now, but I think that bodes well for Leggio's future as well. Um, Ali Murtado might be the, the stopgap this year, but I think they're going to invest in Legio as their place kicker in the future. And as far as Kahari Jones and the re- relationship with Vernon Adams Jr., because of the style of play that Kahari had when he was a quarterback, he's the best guy on that sideline when Vernon throws a strike for a touchdown and the best guy when he th- puts it in a bad place and it gets picked off. Yeah. That's very fair. That's very fair. And he did, but, but Kahari is that, that even keel guy too, right? Like, like you see him jamming before the game starts and he's like, okay, when the game happens, not that he doesn't show emotion, 
when Vernon and comes off, if he's thrown a touchdown, it's like high five. If he's thrown a pick, it's like, okay, well, we'll get it next time. Uh, and I have a hard time with that as myself because I want to be like, <laughs> why would you throw that? And, uh, you know, so, so you watch these guys and think, wow, they, they really, and, and Kahari being, like you said, being a quarterback, he gets what, what will help that quarterback get out there and do the next play without a problem. Right. Kahari emotes positive. He emotes excitement. He's always trying to teach and support. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's the way you're a good leader. That's the thing with being a coach is well, I had this explained to me kind of just even in my management role. But you can you can either be a manager, which is you go in, you say you do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And that if you're not doing that, why aren't you and blah, blah, blah. Or you could be a leader where you go in and say, OK, this happened, but how can we be better? And those guys like emulate that. The other person that's impressed me is Paul Lapolis because he inherited a team that was going nowhere fast. They didn't exactly do a lot in free agency. And yet I don't see him getting upset on the sideline. He's still working with his people. I find it interesting that if Ottawa gets a lead, it's almost like the, the, a light switch goes on and they're excited again. Oh, absolutely. Like, like Lapolis is a good coach. I think there's part of him right now that is worried that, am I in the same situation I was before in Winnipeg where the general manager is just giving me garbage to work with, but I gotta, I'm expected to, you know, pull out a champion. And I, I'm sure that he's worried about that, but you don't see that on the sideline. All you see is, okay, what's the next play? How are we going to do this? What, how can I motivate these? What is going to spark these guys. Um, and he's lucky that he's got a guy like Devonte Deadman, which is an amazing piece that can, that can trigger that spark for the team sometimes. And he can play off of that, right? Toronto is undefeated at home. Montreal is winless at home. Edmonton is winless at home. Tell me about it. Winnipeg is undefeated at home. <laughs> I, in my wildest thoughts, I never would have thought Edmonton would go over to start the season at home. Uh, are you prepared for them to go 0-4 for the season at home? Because that's about to happen. I, I uh, If you look at their home schedule, the only one they might possibly have a shot at winning is the one against Hamilton. And even and with Hamilton's defense the way it's playing, I, I, I highly doubt it. So um, I... I mean, I didn't expect it either again, but I, I don't remember if it was on your show with you guys or, or, or mine where I was saying my one worry at the beginning of the season was that this this 2021 Elks team was like the 2019 BC Lions where on paper you look at it and think this team is going to be unreal and then they just go out and fall short. And, um, and, and that's what we're seeing. And it's, uh, it, it's very difficult to watch for sure. Um, because other than the Labor Day game, which was that moment of, we, we all thought this is what we expected. This is the kind of team we thought we would be getting, right? Especially coming, coming off the unplanned COVID break. They came out and kind of lit the world on fire in a game that they usually never win. We thought, okay, this is it. This is the turning point. And a few weeks later, we're going, yeah, I, I don't know if there's another game in the rest of this season that they have, that they have a really good shot. There's definitely not one that I can say, yep, they're going to win that one. Um, and I don't know if there's even one that I would say, 
they really have a shot at it. It's just a, a complete turnaround than what we expected at the beginning of the season. So looking at the rest of their home schedule, they've got Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and Hamilton. Yep. That's a pretty pretty tough run. Yeah. Plus they get into the three games in... Seven nights. Seven days, whatever that schedule is. Seven days. Yep, it's seven. Yep. Uh, nobody expected this out of the gate. And, and seeing the hand they're dealt now... And, and even having three out of four games against Winnipeg here, or three games in four weeks against the Bombers, is a pretty tough task at this point as well. <laughs> yeah, tough task is one way to put it. <laughs> Another way to put it is antler down. I mean, there's lots of ways that we can uh, that we can talk about that. Any team right now having to go up against the Bombers three times <laughs> in four weeks is not having a really good month. Bombers are having a great month. Um, as you look at it, they 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 dug themselves a hole early in the season. Lo- losing the first game to Ottawa, huge deal. Losing that second one to Montreal. Not that that... I know those aren't divisional games. And when you win divisional games, that really helps. In, in, for, especially for this shortened season. They dug themselves a hole. And now they're in a spot where you're you're in must-win territory with, with five games left in the season. And you've got all of the opponents that are playing <laughs> at the top of the league. It's not... To, uh, yeah, and then because of unfortunate and or poor decisions you you end up with three games in seven days to finish the season i don't care what team it is if you have to play three games in seven days the likelihood of you even going two and three is pretty small and more than more likely to go one and three or or oh and three or one and two sorry or or oh and three now i'm going to give you a little bit of a silver lining here andrew there are two teams that have scored more than 21 points against winnipeg this year and the Elks are one of those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, that's great. And if we could, if we could not let them score forty at the same time, that would be one. <laughs> that's the thing. It's great. I got twenty-one points, but uh, doesn't. Yeah, I, we need W's and not, don't need to worry about points at this point. Just, just get W's. Now Saskatchewan coming up this weekend plays home to Calgary. They have one more home game after that. Yeah, and if there was a game that they need to win. If they have designs on at least second place, I think this Calgary game is probably big on their agenda. Oh, wholeheartedly agree. It, this 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 is as close to if they if they want to get into that second place and lock down that that home playoff game, that this is the must win. And uh, especially after losing to Calgary last week at 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 uh, McMahon, right? So huge huge deal for them right now, and uh, it, it should be quite a game. I, I, I'm curious to see because. It, it was a close game. It was a back and forth game last weekend. And now playing at home uh, with the energy of that crowd, does that does that help the Rough Riders? And and at at this particular moment, um, you know, I'm always happy when Calgary gets beat. So that's that's what that's what I'm going with. Well, I wondered if Saskatchewan was going to be a little bit flat coming into that game because of how they won in BC the week before. It was a big, exciting finish, right? And so you kind of get uh, high off that. and then, But there, it could have gone either way. They could have come in, like you said, a little flat, which they kind of did. Or it could have been like, we're now we're world beaters. We got to get in there and, and, and ride off the excitement, right? And uh, unfortunately, it went the other way. And, and uh, I mean... It's funny. How many times have we said that this season where we expect, okay, well, this team's got to be coming in and they, they're they going to be fired up and they're going to have to, like, how many of us went 0-4 and pick them last week? Like, all of us? Because it was just 
crazy. You you think that the, these teams are going to be coming in all all fired up and ready to go, and and we're still seeing some some flat performances for sure. Yeah, the the biggest surprise for me last week was the Winnipeg BC game. I thought was going to be a lot closer than it ended up. Um, with what Michael Riley had been doing previously coming into this one, it was at home for him in BC. I still picked Winnipeg to win, but I did not expect it to be a three touchdown win. Oh, I, I would agree. Now, that was the second biggest surprise for me, as you might imagine, because on the Tuesday night, I thought for sure we were coming off a bye week and we're playing the Red Blacks and this should be a no brainer. And then down 14 nothing again before the offense even gets on the field. We've had so many games like that this year where it's like this has got to go this way and then we're watching it go the opposite way. It's uh, it's nuts. Well, the experts on CFL.ca are really not doing any better at the Pickums than we are. So <laughs> that's kind of my consolation prize at this point. Yeah, that, that's my only consolation prize this week is that they all picked Winnipeg and that usually goes well for the other team. So maybe there's a I mean, that's that's the glimmer of hope for this week. Well, it's interesting. We have a, a pool tracker game that third down gamble runs and the person that's tied for the lead is cfl american you know him from chicago yeah absolutely so an american is doing better picking cfl games than all of us canadians (laughs) well he might be playing uh, he might be playing commissioner's role of just playing the opposite of what he thinks and then that's how that's how he's getting so high i i might start playing that way be like okay i'm just gonna pick the one that i figure won't win and next thing you know i I, maybe i'll jump up in those standings because i'm i'm getting beat down this year and pick them that's for sure do the Bombers finish and one, or does Calgary trip them up on the final weekend of the season? Do they lose somewhere else on the way? It just looks like if there ever was a team, a generational team, Winnipeg has it right now. I, I Looking at the rest of their schedule, there's two games that I would earmark as possibles. One, they do go into Montreal, and two, they do have a game in Calgary. Now, granted, they, they did win in Calgary, uh, but... It's not a lot of success they've had in, in the recent past. Their performance in 2019, I'm, I'm now sitting in a position as a Bomber fan, wondering what if Matt Nichols hadn't have gotten hurt. Right. We've now seen Zach Caleros come in, and he is 11-1, and one, including playoffs, as the Bombers starting quarterback. A completely different style than Matt Nichols played. The defense was one of the best in the league in 2019. And they are far and away the best in the league this year. And we're seeing the rest of the team kind of catch up to that now. It's, it's Zach's team as, as far as running the offense. And it's a big step up in my mind than what Matt Nichols brought to them previously. Oh, I, I can't agree more. Like, I think it's, that, was the, that was the missing piece, right? Bring in, a, bring in a quarterback that can stretch the field. Andrew Harris got you through a lot of games before because he could run and and carry the ball and catch the ball out of the backfield and do lots of things on on a short dump pass but now you've got a quarterback that can turn around and and fire it down 60 yards and and so you got to be aware of both and that's keeping the uh, the other team's defense is honest and that's what I think that is a huge difference in in the big wins for Winnipeg and I tend to agree with what you said Don I think this is the team they they could go and one for the entire season, uh, you know, barring injuries and things like that. I, I could see that that would definitely be a possibility. 
I'm as a as a bomber fan. I guess I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I did wait 29 <laughs> years between Grey Cups, so I, I'm not somebody that's going to get all braggadocious here and 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 go off on on how great it is to be a bomber fan. I'm certainly enjoying it this year. Don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of suffering for a long time in between. So a back-to-back Grey Cups would be an absolutely amazing feeling for. Uh, I think any Bomber fan because it hasn't happened since the 1960s. Oh, I bet. And I, I know like we had Ryan Coop on our on our podcast this week, who is a Bomber fan. And and he was the same way. He's like, well, yeah, they're doing really well and it's super fun. But I'm a Bomber fan. So it's like I know the wheels are going to fall off at some point. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it happens, right? Well, I'm sure any time that Claris goes down and takes a while to get back up off the field, there is probably a massive shudder across Manitoba. <laughs> Quite likely. Although Sean McGuire is leading the league in touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> if only they could start field position on the one or two every every time, the, he would be an amazing quarterback. That's right. And everybody would take him in fantasy. That that defense may step up if Claris goes down. They might be starting a lot of drives on the in, inside the opposing five. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I would I would even say that's a possibility. So that's good. <laughs> CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. So who among us thought that as we go into Thanksgiving weekend that the Toronto Argonauts would be free and clear and first in the East? Uh, I will put my hand down because I did not have that. I I, I, I had Hamilton kind of running away with it. Now, uh, granted, I think a lot of us did, but we didn't foresee the two quarterback injuries, um, which changes things a lot. I, I don't know about you guys, but bringing in Chris Jones to run that Argo defense makes them pretty scary because their, their offense sometimes clicks amazingly well like Dinwiddie's got some some things going there uh yeah having Chris Jones there as a defensive coordinator that that makes them a, a whole nother level out of out of the east uh, division now we all knew that they signed a lot of star players in the offseason that can go well it can go bad I had them solidly in third place in the east I, I had kind of Hamilton Montreal fighting over top spot so I will agree with Andrew that I did not see this coming as the uh, the team out front in the East by any means. I think Arbuckle is clearly their quarterback of choice, but until that hamstring gets sorted out, it's going to be McLeod Bethel-Thompson carrying the load. Yeah, and luckily for them, I mean, he, he's had... He's had a couple of good games back to back. Now, we know that we've looked and said, okay, he's Toronto, it's win one, lose one, win one, lose one. And as it turns out, the, the I guess the lose one is in the bye week and then they won one this week. So now is is Monday against Hamilton? Is that the lose one? Is there a little more motivation because their their defense is is playing well and their their special teams are playing well? We saw that tonight. Is, is the team kind of getting buoyed because in 2019, Bethel Thompson was throwing for the most yards and, in, in, you know, or almost the most yards in the league. Granted, I know there was some garbage time ones there, but he didn't have the support of the other two phases and, and now he's got it. So let's let's see what happens. Yeah, it's a big game for them on Monday. They're one game clear of Hamilton right now. So another win pulls them two games ahead and really leaves them in control as to what happens the rest of the way for the East Division. Well, and they have to win that one because they know Hamilton has the gimme against the Elks. So 
right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Jeremiah Mazzoli, he's been okay, but he has not looked like the Jeremiah Mazzoli that we thought he'd be. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I We were expecting more out of him. Um, on the other hand, much like you were saying earlier, you know, usually it's that... You know, we're, we're right at the point where we would regularly be in week five of the season and and he's coming off a, a, a season ending injury and, and then a year off. And he's really played now, what, three games? I, I'm going to give him a bit of a pass until he kind of gets a chance to play more and, and actually be on the field more before I would say, oh, Jeremiah isn't what we know anymore. Right now, he's just trying to adapt back in after recovering that, that much time off. Does Dane Evans come back in when he's fully healthy and Mazzoli goes back into the backup role? Uh, at this point, I think yes. I think that Dane Evans shows that he can lead this team and it's his team to lead now. Uh, and and Mazzoli is a good um, second option. But I, I, I think if you put the two beside each other, you have to put the one that's going to give you the best chance to win. And I would say that that's Dane Evans right now. We talk about how big this game on Monday is for the Argonauts. What about the Tiger Cats? If they lose, they're now two wins behind the Toronto Argonauts in the East Division, and Montreal's breathing down their back. Yeah, well, it, it, it's a huge game for both teams. It's almost like unfortunate that Toronto is the one that's coming off the five days rest to play that game. You'd kind of wish that when it's this big a game that it would be both teams, you know, with their full week off and, and, and ready to go. I mean, Hamilton almost had like a mini buy in between because they, they played on the, the Saturday and then they don't play until the Monday, right? So it'll be interesting to see just how that plays out as far as guys who have rested and, and who's who's up for it. But huge game both ways. Like I said, I'm I'm curious to see what happens because both of those teams, their defenses are playing great and their offenses are hit and miss. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with which which defense can actually tune up and uh, and give them the win. And like you said, Don, if Hamilton loses this one, Montreal is right on their heels and the Alouettes have only played two home games so far this season. So they've got five home dates coming up down the stretch. And if they can get some momentum and, and get those wins at home, then they'll be right there to, to catch and possibly pass Hamilton. Oof, that would be crazy. Interesting little stat. The Alouettes this year are three and four. In 2019, at this same point in the season, they were three and four. Montreal in 2019 went 10 and eight at the end of the year. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that is. Uh, well, and I, the thing with Montreal, and I think we've seen this in games too. Like they're they're like they're the cardiac kids, right? They they come back in that fourth quarter, and it's usually in super dramatic fashion. And uh, they it, that could apply to their games in their season too, right? Get a little behind, and then you get to those last games, and all of a sudden it turns up and could make for some very very interesting football as they get to the end of the season that's for sure and i think montreal has ottawa twice more if i'm not mistaken that is correct so they also have winnipeg twice yeah because i mean ottawa as long as they're not playing somebody who's green and gold they're not a great team montreal has a good chance of of racking those up too right and and hamilton doesn't have that they, they don't have uh, extra ottawa games coming up so it should be interesting so as we look at the second half of the season two things come to mind for me. One is 
Given that the schedule has changed and that the East plays the East more and the West plays the West more, do you think there's any room for a crossover this year? I don't think there is a crossover this year. Uh, I think that those those East teams are close enough and they play each other enough that they're going to keep that, you know, at least level with the lower teams that are in the West. Unless Calgary goes on a miracle run, which, I mean, they could. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I, I, I don't think there's a crossover this year. No, I, I agree with you on this one, Andrew. I mean, you look at the standings right now and Calgary is fourth in the West with three wins. Montreal's third in the East with three wins and a game in hand. So if Montreal gets to that fourth win by week eight, they're already a game ahead. So um, again, to, to cross over, you not only have to tie that team in the standings, you have to pass them. And that's going to be a tough task for the Stampeders or anybody else in the West who makes a little bit of a run. Well, and the and the Stampeders right now, um, I mean, they, they've got a tougher schedule too. They have a lot of away games because uh, they played some home-heavy schedule at the beginning as well. So uh, starting even with this week where they've got to go in where Saskatchewan's ready for revenge <laughs> and, uh, and another loss uh, there um, could, you know, that, that could almost close it. I mean, it doesn't mathematically close it out, but it sure is going to make it a really tough go to try and get that crossover. And BC is in a home heavy part of their schedule and they're not making a lot of hay with it. No, no, they're not. Um, the injury to Lucky Whitehead is definitely going to hurt there. Um, and the fact that they haven't really found a way to start running the ball. BC only plays Edmonton once, so they only have the one guaranteed win. I don't know about the rest, but um, I, I, I well, they play them at the end of that three games in seven days. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> there you go, BC. You got to win at the end of the season. That's good. I don't know where they go without Lucky Whitehead because he's been such a huge part of that offense to to even just to drag guys away that then you could pass to Burnham or pass to Javon Katoy and, and these kind of guys, but. Uh, I've seen Michael Riley do amazing things, and uh, I know that they're, you know, all of their prep that they're going through. They're, you got to know some of those other receivers are going to see the ball pretty quick, and and it should be rather interesting. I'm curious to see with Whitehead out of the lineup now how Brian Burnham responds. He was not happy at the end of that game against Winnipeg when BC got the ball back in the last minute, and they basically just took a knee and, and ran off the field. You could see him visibly upset, wanting to run plays. And if he takes that one direction, it could go really, really bad. Or if he goes the other way with it, we can see the Brian Burnham that we saw in 2019 and he could come out on fire and, uh, and start to carry the rest of the BC Lions offense on his back. Brian Burnham has always impressed me as an ultra competitive soul. How many times do we see him as the number one catch of the year? That's that's a great point. Um, and I think they are. I mean, Burnham is just, he's amazing to watch. So maybe now he becomes, again, that number one guy. And um, But they, they got to start using guys like Katoy and Hatcher so that you can get you can get Burnham open. Uh, that's, that'll be an interesting thing. And and they gotta, they gotta find some way to at least attempt to run the ball. (laughs) Like just, just to help open those guys up too. Right. I I know Winnipeg, you could tell that they knew like, well, they're, they're not running. So just, we can throw three at them or four at them on the line and everyone else is back making sure that they are not catching anything. And, uh, that, that's why I think you saw that game so lopsided. If there's one Enigma player, it's James Wilder Jr. 
Here's a guy that can steamroll just about anybody on the field, and yet he's not getting the touches. I wish I had an explanation for you. I, I really wish I do. You, you have a guy that's averaging between six and seven yards a carry, and he's touching the ball 14 times a game. Why isn't that guy touching the ball 25 times a game? Especially in the last two weeks when you had a rookie quarterback in there, take some pressure off and let the, the big man do his work. I, I hope that we see it this week because if there's one thing on that bomber defense now, it's got, it keeps getting better, don't get me wrong, but if there's one thing on that bomber defense that might be a bit questionable at, you know, maybe, <laughs> is their run defense. We showed that the first time we played Winnipeg. Wilder had two touchdowns. He, lots of big, he's running, pushing, stretching for that extra part. I mean, Wilder is hands down our our MVP nominee of this year, but he's not, he's not getting the ball more than, uh, you know, 15 times a game. And I, I don't get that. If it, if, if Ellingson was catching everything under the sun, he'd have 14, 15 targets. If you've got a guy that's running like that all the time, just feeding the rock and take the pressure off a little bit. Is there a point in the season specifically discuss Calgary and Edmonton where the backup quarterback maybe gets the starts because let's say Harris doesn't win against Winnipeg, well, Edmonton's now are two and seven. Where do you go with what you want to do? Do you want to start looking to the future if Calgary gets swept by Saskatchewan in the next two? Same question. If BC continues to lose at home, same question. If I had to venture a guess, the least likely of those scenarios would be BC. What we see with the, the toughness of Michael Riley alone is going to keep getting him out there on the field. Calgary and Edmonton have both now seen a backup quarterback that's shown some flashes and might be the the future for them. Um, especially Edmonton, Trevor Harris is no spring chicken anymore. And, uh, you know, he's got some injuries he's dealing with now. So a couple more losses and I would be awfully tempted to put him on the sidelines and, and give Cornelius some more snaps and see what he can do as the number one guy on that offense? Uh, I would I would disagree only because I think the only thing that keeps Trevor Harris off the field is an actual injury. Um, if he's not injured, they're going to put Harris in, even if it's just to try for pride. I, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I, I, as much, uh, don't get me wrong. Taylor Cornelius showed some interesting things. He did live up to his MO of usually throwing that interception at like the worst possible time, um, which is what he did when he was in the XFL and in college. So that, you know, how do you work that out? Well, you give him reps. I understand that, but just the way that this team is kind of set up, I don't think you, you see Harris off the field unless he's actually injured. Bo Levi, we, we know he's injured. He's still dealing with some issues with that shoulder. So do I see Jake Mayer maybe getting some starts in there? Uh, yeah, I think so. Again, that'll kind of depend on what are the doctors saying and, and is Bo ready to say, yes, I, I need that break or, or does he need something else done or something along those lines? I think that's what takes him off. If we were to predict who's going to go one through five in the West and one through four in the East... We know where teams are right now. Does anything shake out much different? This is way easier than at the start of the season. <laughs> is it though? Yeah. Well, wait. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. I think. I think for me, I mean, the the West. It's uh, like the Bombers are at the top. There's no doubt in my mind. 
I know it's only midseason. I know we just finished talking about Bo Levi, probably maybe not playing. But for me, I, I would probably go Bombers, Riders, Calgary, BC, Edmonton. And I only say that because uh, I just I I've been burned so many years by Calgary that it's just like it just makes sense. Now, if they lose this weekend, maybe I, 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 I flip flop BC and, and Calgary in the East. Right now, just the way it's set up, I actually think it's going to end up as Toronto, uh, Montreal, Hamilton, Ottawa. Heath? Oh, man. Um, maybe it's not easier now that I look at the standings here. <laughs> 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 I, I think, um, yeah, I, like I said, Winnipeg, all they have to do is, is finish three and three down the stretch here. And it's virtually impossible for anybody to catch them unless they win out. And I don't see Saskatchewan or BC going six and all over their next six games. So I'm going to say Winnipeg. Saskatchewan does hang on to number two. I, I don't see any change in the West. I think it's going to stay status quo of what we're seeing there right now. Uh, the East division, really this Thanksgiving Monday game between Toronto and Hamilton is going to tell you how the rest of the season goes. Um, I think at this point, Montreal does get into second. And I'm going to say Toronto hangs on to the first and, and Hamilton slips to third. I think those two are the ones that we're going to see flip-flop are the, the Tiger Cats and the Alouettes. And sorry, Ottawa, I think they're they're just not going to pull their way up into a playoff spot at this point. Ottawa needs a whole year of playing the Elks, just only the Elks for them to have that kind of, then they could finish first in the East. It'd be easy for them. Yeah. There's a lot of growing pain that is going to happen in Ottawa. Does Desjardins get does he get to stick around because the the thing is is that the talent on the field they have some great pieces you look at Evans you look at Devonte Dedman uh you look at uh, the the Davi like Davis 1 and Davis 2 the running back and the and the receiver They've got, and now of course they bring in Stafford, which I thought was a great play by them. The veteran guy that that can you know stretch the field. They have some great pieces, but the amount that they lost and the amount that they did, they weren't active in bringing kind of new guys in to support those really good pieces um, has left them in a really hard place. And and that hasn't happened over just this past off season. It's been the last couple of off seasons. And so I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if they, if, if their only two wins this year are against the Elks, I, I don't know that they, the one thing they might change is GM. And I, I think they could leave the rest and let the GM bring, like the new GM, bring in some guys to support those pieces, and uh, and see where it goes from there. But then, then I can see they kind of have to go on that Winnipeg path, right? Get all the guys in place, and then stick with them. Fill in the pieces that you need each year, and and build it, which takes some time. But you're seeing the dividends pay off in Winnipeg now, where you've had the same head coach, you've had the same system, you've got the same GM, and they started with a few pieces, and then they've added a few pieces here and there, and a couple of really good quarterback trades has put them into uh, places of long-term winning. And Ottawa has a chance to do that, but it's going to take some time. That Canadian mafia in Winnipeg is... uh... (laughs) Is showing yeah. its colors. They, as, as painful as it was to be a Blue Bomber fan for a couple of the eras in that Grey Cup drought, Joe Mack left the cupboards bare 
And I agree. When Wade Miller and Kyle Walters took over rebuilding that team, the first thing they focused on was Canadian talent because that was really, really empty in the Joe Mack era. Yes. And it, it took some time. And we saw flashes. They were probably one of the best 4-14 and 14 teams ever because they were losing games by a touchdown or less. <laughs> and, and that was our silver lining as Bomber fans when that was going on was we're in these games. We're not winning them, but we're in them. Yeah. And, and it, it took a lot of patience. And to finally get a coach like Michael Shea that the players bought in to, uh, and, and we're seeing the rewards. It was, it was a slow build, but they've got the momentum now. I think other teams can look to that model as to how to successfully build. You're not going to do it in a year. You're not going to do it in two. Like you said, you get those pieces in place and you start putting the puzzle together. It gives you a lot of flexibility if you have great Canadian talent. I agree. And, and we thought that was going to happen with the Elks this year because they were starting nine Canadians at the beginning of the season. And a lot of these guys, like guys like Shy Ross have had a decent season, all things considered. And um, that, you know, that part is exciting, but they also got to, you know, um, you, like you said, you got to have great Canadians and then find the other pieces to support them. And that uh, the Bombers have done a really good job of that, guys. When, when you look at, you know, they they had the chance to get the big names. They went out and signed Andrew Harris. They then, but that was their big signing. It wasn't like they signed a whole bunch. It was just that. And then, uh, then they ended up getting I think Nick Dembski at the around the same kind of time. Um, and then it was quiet on the uh, on that they were building their guys and then all of a sudden the big free agent signing of Adam Bighill and and Willie Jefferson they always got like one big name in the offseason but it wasn't like we're rebuilding the whole team out of free agency we're getting we're bringing some guys in and you you look at guys especially on that offensive line that have now been around for a while and and that offensive line is the best one in the league and it's uh there's a reason they're so good right uh, and you're looking clearly the future for the running backs in Winnipeg is going to be a Canadian as well. Andrew yeah. Harris, we don't know how much he's got left in the tank after this season, but Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine are two more Canadian running backs that they've got in the system. Yeah, I, I, I can say like I thought that's where the Elks were going this year, where you have all you had all this Canadian talent at defensive end. When you look at Kwaku Boateng and Matthew Betts and and uh, they're building in guys like Elaine Pay off the 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 uh, draft, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, we're we're really building this up. If you can find that one spot, whether it's corner or it's a defensive end or it's a running back or it's one of those ones that isn't traditionally a Canadian spot, but you you fill them with good Canadians, yeah, your team your team becomes exponentially better. Thank you guys both for joining me, Heath Graham and Andrew. Where can people find and follow you? Oh, well, thank you again for having me. It's always fun to chat football with you guys. And uh, you can find me um, at the Turf District on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, if you're interested in, in watching us be a little goofy on Monday nights uh, on YouTube, we we record the podcast, but we're also recording it live uh, on YouTube. So if you just look up the Turf District, we're trying to get some more um, subscribers on there so uh you know f f jump on and subscribe and then you'll know when we go live and it's kind of fun 
Excellent. It is it is a lot of fun to watch. If you, if you join in live, uh, you know, throw in some comments and and we respond to them as as we go through. It's uh, it, it's been really fun to have that aspect, and we're we're looking forward to at some point here, hopefully not too long uh, in the future, that we'll uh, we'll all be sitting in the same room together and uh, recording and and having those laughs. So uh, yeah, join join us when you can, and 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 uh, and let us know what you think. Thanks again, everybody. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.